Welcome back to Blamo. What do you get when a detail-oriented journalist creates a menswear site where trousers are reviewed like the latest tech gadget and suit construction is documented with reverence normally reserved for Italian sculpture? The answer is the acclaimed menswear blog Permanent Style, and its founder, Simon Crompton, is my guest this week. Simon and I discuss the values of bespoke clothing, rules of classic menswear, and the psyche of the male peacock. Let's do it. Mr. Simon Crompton, you are on Blamo. Thank you so much. I'd love to be here. Thank you. Um, I got a rare, very rare opportunity to speak with you because generally you are based in London, no? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And you're in town because you're on a book tour? Yeah. We, we had a launch at the Armory on Thursday of my latest book, The Style Guide. Yeah. And then we also tied it in with doing, uh, being part of the crafted event at Bergdorf Goodman on Saturday. Okay. And what number book is this? This is number five. Five. <laughs> so you, this, yeah. is, this is so much, so much of the stuff that I want to talk to you about yeah. is, because you're one of the most fascinating individuals with me in terms of the true uh, essential classic menswear style and aesthetic. Okay. When I think of pure style and the origins and the history and knowing the, the rules, it's like, boom, it's Simon Crompton. And Simon Crompton, you have this blog, newsletter, editorial guide called Permanent Style, which I'll link to in the show notes, of course. But um, my biggest question is, how the heck did you do that? Because I know that you have other roles in your life, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I still work for a financial publishing company in London as well at the same time. Yeah. And so it's, it's kind of been... I don't know, I kind of always think I'd, I really admire people that kind of quit their jobs and do their dream. But if you can kind of segue from one to the other in kind of like a three to five year period, that's even better. Yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> it's better for the mortgage and better for everything else. I mean, that's kind of worked really well. And, um, but yeah, I don't know. I, someone was saying today that you always seem to be doing a huge amount, having another job and like a young family and doing like the blog and stuff as well. But I still don't work as hard as a lot of people I know. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, you know, I don't work, you know, 14, 16 hour days or whatever, yeah. you know, it's, it's a nice balance. It works well. You probably work at a company that's more respectful of your, your time. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> it's, that's rare these days. Congratulations. <laughs> um, how did Permanent Style start? It started well, t- almost 10 years ago in November. Okay. Um, one Christmas, I remember being at home and... I was kind of, I was never, I was, wasn't really into clothes a lot when I was a kid, like right. age 15, 16, I was wearing like Iron Maiden t-shirts and black jeans and purple Dr. Martin boots. Oh, I got to find these photos. <laughs> it's pretty horrible. <laughs> like even at university, I was wearing, you know, Gap sweatshirts or what like, I wasn't really into clothes at all. It wasn't really until I think I got a job and got a bit of money and kind of like the idea of buying a suit that I kind of started to care about what that suit would look like. And I bought a, my first suit that I saved up for was a, Cost 129 pounds from Zara. It was nice. a pale gray suit with white pinstripes. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> it was so horrible. I take it you don't own it anymore. No. no okay. It's horrible. <laughs> anyway, um, but yeah, I think I kind of got into clothes maybe the next couple of years. Yeah. And then I had a friend uh, who ran a blog uh, in New York, actually, which is not going anymore, but it was about an English girl dating in the States. Okay. And again, at that time, not many people had blogs. It was quite an unusual thing to do. And she said um, that you spend all the time talking about tailoring. And frankly, it can get a bit boring because it's quite technical. And A, I'm, I'm boring, but also B, it's quite technical. And she said, why don't you start a blog about it? Because then it's just like you can just write it down and people can read it if they want to and they don't. Yeah. yeah. And it kind of worked quite well. Um, and I remember, being, I remember being viciously mocked by my family at uh, a Christmas for starting a blog. Like it was, I think it was seen as maybe more of a thing that, girls did or it was kind of a well, what year is this? serious certainly oh, you said 10 years 2007 ago? i guess yeah okay right I well i don't know i think people were doing blogs at that time i mean i think that is the the golden era of blogs yeah. because you had started as as a deliberate kind of thing and the serious thing you wanted to do well yeah. you you also you started as a blog spot blog right yeah. you were yeah. a, a, a google hosted blog and i think yeah. at the time you know, a lot of people are trying to figure out how to differentiate themselves between mm. it. Because I think when I think of those types of blogs in terms of the classic menswear, 
there was Ask Andy about clothes. Yeah. Um, style Forum. You. Yeah. That's it. No? And, uh, a, suitable a suitable wardrobe. wardrobe. Yeah. They started like about a year before me, I think. Something right. like that. That was pretty much it. Yeah. So this was the forums. And then Will started a suitable wardrobe, which I read right from the start. And then that was, that was about it. I never, really, I never really read the forums. It wasn't until there were blogs. That yeah, I actually the got forums. In. Yeah. And that's, well, it's funny because you mentioned a suitable wardrobe, and I'm not going to mock him at all. But one of the big differences between permanent style and some of these other, like the forums, and obviously, is that you, I'll go ahead and say this you're a great writer. Oh, like, thanks, you man. have a good ability to, um, it reminds me very similar to like Ben Clymer of Hadinki, and mm. that I don't feel stupid reading your stuff when I'm, as I'm trying to learn. Hmm, you know, interesting. like yeah. I'm trying to understand right now you're wearing really nice blue hopsack, maybe hopsack sport coat. And I didn't really know what hopsack was, you know, at that, say, I don't know, seven, eight years ago or yeah. whenever I started reading permanent style. Um, and, you know, some sites would obviously they're chasing clicks, but their, you know, teaching aspect was more of mocking their readers who didn't know as much and you need <laughs> yeah. to come to us because we have all the answers yeah like gq you know gq does that quite a bit mm. of just like oh no like you need help let us help you they've changed a ton but, yeah you know but that was never your take yeah it's interesting I, I, that's never been something i've been conscious of but um, i clearly must have hit the right tone differently yeah. or not like that's not that's really interesting um yeah. and you also kind of broke and in terms of like letting other people know the rest of the world about a lot of these tailors, because you weren't mm. really championing Ralph Lauren or no, that's true. I think I, and I was, I guess I was into a lot of those brands like Ralph Lauren and stuff at the start, but then I quickly got into bespoke and there wasn't really much bespoke around that you could afford. So I was looking for right. quite, I guess, cheaper tailors to start right. with and then kind of got more and more, um, you know, you could start to afford more or you get other tailors and yeah. What was your first bespoke piece? My first bespoke suit was with Graham Brown, which is a small tailor in the city in London, like the financial area of London. Right. Uh, it was a double-breasted, kind of mid-blue worsted herringbone, I think, in it, which I've still got. It's still quite nice, actually. Yeah? Yeah, yeah. It's still quite wearable. Um, but yeah, that was quite interesting because they had, there was this real tradition in the city of London of having uh, like tailors that were not quite the same quality as like the West End fancy Savile Row ones. Yeah. Because the city guys just kind of beat the crap out of their suits, basically. They wore them every single day. You know, they wore long hours, long hours in them. So if you're going to have one, you went there and you didn't care about the fancy details. You just wanted one that was quite wearable. Yeah. So they kind of, there was a tradition of having tailors that still cut everything by hand, but they made a load of it by machine. And right. That was where I started and it made it so much more affordable. I mean, it was, I think even today, they're about like a thousand pounds, 1200 pounds or something for a suit. So obviously your taste grew yeah. exponentially. You got the bug. Um, you know, I think one of the things that I learned previously working for a men's company is how to pick out fabric. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the stuff that I had referenced was from uh, Permanent Style in addition to, oh darn it, the how, uh, Dressing the Man, oh, the yeah. Alan Flesser book. Yeah, yeah. Which now, I mean, you, your books are, uh, have taught quite a bit as well, but I think I made a lot of mistakes mm. in picking out fabrics. Such a hard thing to do. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it is. <laughs> God, what, I, what was your biggest mistake then when you were picking a cloth? Oh, God. I got a stupid chocolate gabardine suit, but I, I was thinking Dirty Harry. I, <laughs> so in my head, you know, it's funny because you always have the, this is what I want to look like. Yeah. This is what I'm thinking. And then you have, this is what I actually look like. <laughs> and so I'm thinking Dirty Harry. Yeah. And I was like, even though he had a polyester type suit, but I picked this gabardine. And it's funny because Brandon Caps, who listens to this podcast, he, I think at the time he was, uh, I don't know, he works for a showroom and runs a clothing company now, but he said, go darker. And I was mm. like, he doesn't freaking know. Whatever. <laughs> and he's like, trust me, go darker. I didn't go darker. I got the suit and I looked like a walking turd. <laughs> it was the worst <laughs> thing I've ever done. <laughs> it's horrible. Guess, guess where that suit is. Uh, no idea. That's where it is. <laughs> <laughs> Ton of Arazzi Luciano. Love you guys. Sorry. Bad suit. <laughs> there needs to almost be a clothing company where when you make your bespoke clothing, maybe this is where tailors come in. I'm sure you can share some of these stories that you submit. This is what I want. And they go, oh, okay. oh buddy. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, it's oh, it, it's it's so hard. I I kind of think one of the the problems with, with like the tailors is they've I mean they're not really used to particularly English tailors they're not used to making other than kind of brown or blue or grey suits. Right, like, that's kind of what they're used to, and you don't have to give that much advice on that. It's about weight or a little bit of pattern or whatever, and that's about it. So they're not used to really kind of giving style advice, I guess. Yeah. And once you when you want to give style advice, you you have to really know the cloth inside out, know what how people are thinking and how to transform kind of what they're thinking, what they want to do into some into the right cloth. Um, but also like the tailors, they sh- they don't never have anything on display. You know, it's like you could have mini collections of you know a half a dozen jackets every season, and people would get inspiration from those. You know, where, right? You know, and then you see what it looks like, and you can make it made bespoke. And if not, you don't have to go with that. But it gives you the option of the more interesting things. But Tailors have never really kind of adapted in that way to have that that's, aspect of design in there. That's an excellent point because I think, at least from my perspective, I I didn't start buying bespoke. I started at ready to wear, and mm. and also, I mean, I'm sure you have that because you started at ready to wear yeah, too. Yeah, exactly. So you want to see the finished piece. You want to know a little bit more of how it's going to look on you mm. versus a, a square. You know, a two inch square of brown gabardine. <laughs> <laughs> and that's, um, I mean, how did some of your, your, your style has obviously evolved, um, in terms of, I mean, you, it's very classic, but it's evolved mm. a little bit. You, I think you tend to wear a lot of Neapolitan. Am I correct? Yeah. I kind of, I'd say it's probably half and half English and Neapolitan or okay. maybe English and French versus Neapolitan. And I think it's, uh, I think it's mostly for me a question of, um, kind of the occasion and what you're doing. Like if I was going to get go to a big meeting or getting married or going to a big occasion i'd always want something that was english that kind of sure. makes me feel like i've got a you know ramrod up my ass like i'm just, i'm standing straight and i feel amazing yeah but frankly if i'm leading over a kitchen bar talking to you i'd rather be in the politics <laughs> yeah so. we are in a kitchen bar at some very nice uh i don't know building area in uh, in hell's kitchen don't know how we got here but we are here <laughs> yeah well so example what did you what did you wear for the your book release, your armory party. Yeah, so good point. So, with the armory event, I was wearing a pale grey flannel, double-breasted Anderson Shepherd suit. Okay, right. Whereas today, I'm wearing a Neapolitan navy hopsack jacket, which is great for travel. You can wear it with anything at all, and you know, it's soft and easy and comfortable. And for the sake of our our listeners here, not everyone mm-hmm. understands the difference between British clothing and American, or excuse me, not, well, we'll even talk about American, but British mm-hmm. and Italian, which is you know your cup of tea here. What what, how would you characterize the differences? So Italian clothing and particularly like Southern Italian clothing tends to be a lot lighter and softer. So mm-hmm. you've got um, the big things like the shoulder pad will be a lot thinner and the chest canvas will be a lot lighter. And that means when you put it on, you don't feel you've kind of really got anything kind of restricting you. Right. Um, when you move and you can move much more easily. And it was originally created by the Neapolitans to kind of adapt the English tailoring to a, basically a hotter climate when they didn't want all this kind of structure around them. Right. And the, that's great. The problem with having kind of that less structure is that you can just do less with it, right? So you can't shape the body. You can't kind of give yourself amazing shoulders or amazing chest or whatever. And that's not, it's not about extremes. You're not going to kind of make yourself like, like a transformer or something. But if you have less structure to play with, you can right. just do less with it, right? Right. So what, how you just explained that, that made sense to me. Okay. I got it. Good. And why is it that, that every other thing that I've read in the past yeah. does a horrible job and also makes it, there's a couple menswear writers out there and they know who they are and it's the most boring way to explain it. Like, <laughs> I'm sorry. Maybe it's because I'm a you know I'm a guy in my 30s. I'm more or less glued to my phone. I mm. read multiple things a day. I, I it's you know I'll admit that I'm the one that has the issue because yeah. of my attention span. But how you know because we'll get you know we're getting to permanent style here and you're writing like how have you been able to really cultivate that voice to communicate that because obviously the stuff that you said you know it is coming from you. It's your perspective, but it's mm. not new. No, no. I think I think there's a tendency with guys that kind of get a bit too technical very quickly, because technical feels safe. Like mm. it's like the whole it's like the whole thing about like knowing the rules of style. Like the whole point of the rules is that they have value. Like they've built up over time because people found them useful and like like codified them effectively by saying the same thing again and again. And there's a lot of knowledge and use there, but that doesn't mean that 
you have to use it all the time, right. you know, that it applies in every situation <laughs> right. over an entire, you know, permanently in, you know, for the whole of history. You just, you know, learn the rules, respect them, understand them, and then apply them if you want to or don't want. You know, it's about kind of that. And I think, again, with the technical stuff, there's kind of guys just want to get that technical thing. Like, what is it? Oh, it's about the stitches per inch, or it's about, you know, the, the number of ripples <laughs> in the sleeve head, or whatever it might be. And they're kind of like, almost when you put a number on it or something at that technical level, then it feels safe. And they feel like they can understand it. But something which is a bit more abstract or style-based, whatever, I think they feel slightly less comfortable with. You know what I mean? Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, I think so. I mean, maybe it also is because they're not even giving their opinion, in a sense. They end up, they're just following the rules. Yeah, yeah. It's like, well... Yeah, you have no choice there, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. a good point. Which, again, is, yeah, again, feels safer in the same way, right? I just have a set of rules. I do that. I'm fine. I don't have to worry. Yeah, because yeah. there's a couple... I remember... Uh, occasionally in my time as like a, a wannabe blogger, I would, uh, you know, people have these email signatures oh, and yeah. they're like 400 lines long. <laughs> okay. And <laughs> one of them wrote, uh, learn the rules and then break them. Right. Yeah. Can you expand on that or what that means? And if that makes sense? I think it, does, it makes sense. I think in the kind of what I was trying to say just now in that it's about learn the rules understand kind of, kind of why they're there and then break them kind of when you want to or when you need to. Right. So something like, I don't know, like no brown in town, which basically people remember because it rhymes. Like that. Which was, is the British term of, of yeah. like, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. And, and, and that was kind of goes back to an age where it was about you don't wear your country clothing in the city. You don't wear like your brown tweeds and everything else in the city. In the city you wear what's more like to be like black shoes, navy suits, grey, whatever. But that what that teaches you is that brown is less formal than like navy or gray, right? If you're going to be in a formal situation, then you wear more formal clothes, sure. which tend to be navies and not browns. It doesn't mean you never ever wear brown in right. town, right? Yeah. Because if you might be in town and you might be working coffee shop or you, <laughs> you might be uh, you know, right, living a, a normal dumpster. human life. Exactly, right? And you, you can wear as much brown as you want. Right. But so, yeah, so the lesson there is that brown is less formal than like navy or gray. Okay, well, that's a useful lesson to learn. Okay, I understand that. Like, and you could expand that and think, okay, it's interesting. So more kind of country kind of colors like browns and greens and whatever are more kind of casual. And they tend to be warmer colors, for example, whereas mm -hmm. like navies and grays and blacks are kind of colder and more formal, you say. Right. And like, there's, again, there's rules around kind of, you could try and look at color in terms of, yeah, warmth versus coldness, for example, that can be useful. But all those little things, they just kind of teach you something and like understand it in five minutes and just helps inform what you're how you think about clothes, but don't then just follow them blindly. Right. And, and, kind of, and I think the problem with that phrase that you said is that it kind of implies that you always break them, almost. Right? Yeah, right? <laughs> like, no, I'm uh, making it my own. The whole own. point is to break it. Well, yeah. you look like an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. But, um, sorry about that. I didn't mean to go off too far. Um, who, I mean, obviously you're, you're very educated and experienced in terms of, you know, sounds like you've made your own mistakes in the past but mm. who taught you a lot of this stuff yeah it's funny i, I <laughs> kind of early people were influential and things like that you know alan flusser books definitely right um bruce boyer's early books really really good um will on suitable board was just fantastic he was a good writer as well like i like i like that yeah will was a good writer. Well, yeah know? for sure um yeah and i think i think the more then i got into the worked in the industry then you kind of start to meet people and that wasn't until like five six years in probably but when you right. start to meet people in the industry then they're quite it can be inspiring as well so like people in the fashion industry and yeah. tailoring and stuff yeah exactly like what what are some of the tailors that you are because i know you wear um, i may butcher this in the pronunciation caliendo yeah yeah um, uh who's yeah. a neapolitan tailor yeah yeah he's a lovely guy sweet guy with a little tiny workshop um right but i think yeah actually not many tailors from a style point of view i guess I guess from a style point of view, it tends to be more people, um, well, that work more on style most days, basically designing brands like Michael Drake or something, right. you know. Right. Um, I think when you see someone like, like that and you see how they dress every day, you realize how they're aware of all these kind of things, but they have their little personal stamps on it or their little kind of habits and routines they get into. And, you know, I, I think that's a really nice aspect, aspect of style. And again, tell me if I'm going too far off course, but... No, this is good. It's really, I find it really interesting how you have to develop your own style, but people kind of feel like that I must be the guy that wears like black pointy shoes or, you know, I'm the guy in the yellow tie or whatever it might be. It's like, right. You just, you just get into habits of things that you like and things that kind of work well for you. And you, 
you realize things that you, you find more valuable. Like, I love classic clothing, but if I could carry on making classic clothing and that relevant to people, you know, you know, in the future, to my generation in the future, then that would be amazing. That'd be an amazing thing to, to help influence and help do. So I'm always thinking about how could you make modern classics, how could you make classic style a little bit more relevant for that yeah. person, you know? And is approachable it, and... Yeah, and is sure. it about more casual cloths or is it about kind of more, you know, less kind of formal kind of corporate clothes, you know, a gray shirt rather than a white shirt or about, you know, wearing denims or chambray's shirts rather than, you know, a more formal kind of cloth and anything like that, really. Right. On, uh, on, on Permanent Style on your site, mm. you've documented, and I think you were the first, for me, you were the first site that was documenting um, the whole bespoke process mm. and experience. Mm. Um, you know, like there's, I think there is a code and there's tons of stuff that you've had in which you'll talk about, you meet the tailor, you, you'll describe their style a bit, then you have your fitting, yeah. and you have your second fitting. And for me, like I had no idea what a bespoke process was and, and so i mean it's basically you're, you're creating your garment with the tailor yeah right like i mean has that has basically going through that process has that changed or affected how you picked out stuff in the future or, i mean what was that like and and also what made you want to communicate that to your readers well i guess it's if style is hard then actually the, and the bespoke process is like another level of of difficulty because, For sure. because you're being told to make choices continuously based on probably not much information and that, again, is what makes people quite obsessed with little kind of rules or mm-hmm. things that help. Um, but I kind of, I think the thing I've learned over time is to be much more, again, natural and organic with it. Don't go with a certain set of precepts and go, okay, I want this particular thing or I want to look like, you know, that photo. But yeah. actually just trying to have a conversation and understand what the tailor's trying to do because they're often, they have like a house style, which they might be able to change a little bit, you know, but if you if you have a, can manage to have a conversation with them and kind of get that going, understand why they do it that way, then that's by far the most important thing. And then informs every kind of fitting stage because you'll understand why he says he wants to make it a bit narrow or why he doesn't want to make the sleeves super tight or whatever it might be. You know, he can be one of the best people for trying to educate that you know, process. But I think a lot of people, whether it's out of fear or whatever it is, they're, kind of, they're quite a bit confrontational in that right. kind of situation. But. Yeah, no, I mean, that, that makes a lot of sense. One of the one of the other things you talk about on permanent style is in these reviews that you do, or like the process of getting your shoe or your sport coat. You're really honest with the product, mm. and I think that is pretty unheard of in terms of the you know clothing you know magazine blog you know experience into which everything is great, <laughs> everything rules. Life is perfect. Yeah. This is awesome. I mean, there's stuff that I've read, and I won't try to name examples where you're like, it didn't turn out the way I expected. Yeah. Or, but it's good because you do provide additional feedback and updates to it, and where like, you know, this didn't happen. However, X, Y, and Z happened. Yeah. And we tried we to repair to... it or didn't repair it, or, you know, yeah, yeah. we changed it next time or whatever it might be. Yeah. It, it's, it's funny. I've always, I kind of, that wasn't something I was really aiming to do right from the start, but it just came quite naturally to me. When I just, again, I came from a background as a journalist where my instinct was just to kind of really kind of analyze things and try and get it across in as transparent a way as possible. Yeah. And that doesn't really happen in the fashion industry very much. No. You know? I mean, you review clothing the way people review cell phones. Yeah, exactly. I, and right. I, I mean yeah. that in the best possible way. It is yeah. very honest. It's authentic. And it, because it's not so, I don't know, like contrived or tacky. Mm. I'm, I'm like, oh, okay, I can get behind that. Mm. And I would say, honestly, I have a few very close friends whom, you know, they're, uh, they're observers, yeah. right? They're, they don't really participate, but they, you know, they read your site. And uh, you had talked about, um, I don't know, some, some clothes at one point, And I get an email saying, oh, did you see this? And he was mm. like, I don't think I'm going to go with it now. Okay. And I'm like, oh, snap. (laughs) That's crazy. And, but it's, it goes to show like the weight of, um, I mean, I guess how much the weight of your opinion in one hand, but also how much people really respect authenticity these Mm. days. And I think, you know, in terms of the clothing industry, there's a few other blogs that I read and they're like, yeah, I just got this. It's so perfect. And I'm like, no, it's not. Mm. 
I mean, even if something is perfect, like it, it's just a bit superficial. Like, why is it perfect? Like, was it perfect compared to your expectations, or was it perfect but your expectations were wrong? It's perfect in ways you didn't sort of foresee coming, or just say something a bit more interesting than that, at the sure. very least, right? Yeah, yeah, I like that. Suits like reviewing cell phones. <laughs> yeah, I, mean... I was, I was, I was thinking of like a film critic, but that's fine. Cell phones is fine. Oh, okay, sorry. <laughs> you know, well, but I... it's, it's weird. And why does it only happen? I mean, I don't know. Why does it only happen in the fashion industry? Is just the worst for that, right? I think it's because so it's it's, it's really small and, you know, and I'll admit this too, and getting people on, like, people are very concerned about bad press. Yeah. And it's a small industry, mm-hmm. specifically the men's, it's incredibly small, and word travels fast. Um, if you are a jerk or, <laughs> I don't know, you name it, people know about it. Yeah. Um, and I think it's, I don't know, maybe some people are a little bit afraid to tell the truth. Yeah. The people who do always tell the truth, in my, in my opinion, are customers and clients. Because yeah. I've heard it. <laughs> in which, like, this is ridiculous. And you're like, well, you know, we're really working on the development <laughs> of that. And they're like, no, it's no good. <laughs> um, speaking of development, uh-huh. you... Maybe, I mean, you've done this in the past, maybe a couple of years ago when you started, you can correct me if I'm wrong. You started making clothes. Yeah. Yeah. So we did, we started collaborations what, like four or five years ago now. Okay. Um, but I guess when we started, they were quite small things. Like we just did a little run of cloth that was just quite fun. Or we did a kind of run of ties or something with somebody. But it's, I guess, only in the last two or three years, it's got a bit more serious in that we're kind of doing the same product again and again and doing, keeping them in stock if we can and you know, having a bigger range. But it's, um, I don't know, I've always, I don't know if this, this strategy necessarily makes sense, but I've kind of, my view has always been that it's very easy to become someone that just sells clothes rather than talks about clothes. And, and sure. everyone's going that way. You know, magazines are becoming shops and shops are becoming magazines and there's all kind of gray area in between which you don't know which one you are and there's probably customers in the middle that at some point become influencers and become retailers and something oh, yeah. else right like you know, where <laughs> is that line anymore so i kind of always been very clear that i didn't want to become like a shop and often there's quite an easy way to to gauge that when like when a new when a pr or somebody contacts you or someone from a brand and they kind of how they pitch themselves to you becomes quite clear whether they think you're like a writer or whether you think you do product and I think like six months ago, I had the first experience of someone coming to me and thinking that that was what I did, that I made product and they wanted to do a collaboration. And I was like, okay, this has gone too far, right? We're going to dial it down now. <laughs> like <laughs> with your email address? Like, did they go to your site? Yeah, well, it must have done. But I don't know if they just went to the, they went to the shop part of it or that's what someone told them. I don't know. But I don't know. It just feels, it just feels dangerous to me. Like if you make, if you make suits, you know, you, it's, you, you can't really review other people's suits in the same way. You know, that's I, true. I mean, I know that there's, you know, plenty of companies that have had that, um, never had that issue from, I don't know, luxury products. As you can see, mm-hmm. I'm like trying to beat around the bush and not naming names as I think <laughs> about it. So it's me thinking. Um, but I mean, you started with polo shirts, correct? No, see, we did, so we, we did some very small things. Originally, we did, did some tweed. We did some really lovely purple suede slippers. Okay. We did a tie with Drake's. Uh, we did all like quite a lot of small things. Um, but the polo shirts we started two years ago. That was the first, and that kind of became quite big, I guess. Um, right. I don't know why it became bigger, but I think it just. I guess historically, I tended to do things that were a bit more unusual, and then the polo shirts were a bit more kind of trying to fit a very particular niche, like. Again, that point earlier about trying to make tailoring relevant today, and like I just like a really nice way to try and make a sports jacket or whatever more relevant and more modern is to put something else underneath it, like polo shirt, for example. But yeah. if you can make that polo shirt cut longer so that it, you know, stays tucked into the trousers like a normal shirt would, and basically make like a normal shirt but in a different cloth, you know, right. in a higher collar and proper cuff and all this kind of stuff, and make it to a good level, then that can be something you can wear with any different type. You can wear it casually, or you can wear it with jacket or anything else and it kind of works you know to kind of dial down that more formal aspect of tailoring i guess well i mean that's you know like you were saying it speaks to a larger issue in that i don't know many people who wear a suit to work anymore unless they're that's like their thing yeah or like oh i wear a yeah. sport coat or you know and even right now i mean you're not wearing a tie no which yeah. is fine i mean you look very comfortable you look relaxed confident 
Um, yeah, I mean, the polo shirt makes a lot of sense because now there's, you, you don't really have, you're not being forced to wear a suit every day. Yeah. At least, you know, of my experience of guys in New York City. Yeah, I mean, even in the UK, it's very, I mean, you get, there's still bankers and lawyers that wear a suit every day, but they're wearing a shirt without a tie, which somehow looks worse. I don't know, it's just a kind of old big... It's the collar. Oh, it's just... <laughs> but um, but that's I, I kind of it's so much harder to go from wearing like a navy suit and a black shoes and a tie every day, like the tie was the only thing you really choose, to suddenly having to pick out like, but which trousers go with a jacket? And I just don't. And the shoes? I mean, how formal are the shoes? You know, it's it's really hard to actually do that. Yeah, and it's so much harder than picking a suit. And I think maybe that's probably why people start like kind of reading advice in that kind of area, but and why people also probably get into habits quite a lot with those kind of things and wear the same kind of things, but. Well, it could be really fun as well if you get into it. Yeah. I mean, the New York guy that mm-hmm. I see is, um, it is an Hermes tie mm-hmm. because, it, you know, Hermes got an H, it's luxury. Uh, then it's some type of suit with very heavily padded shoulder. Yeah. And they occasionally have the like chip and dip collar in the back because they're, usually they're quite broad individuals. And so there's that, all that space around the neck yeah. and the collar. Yeah. Um, very low rise pants. And then usually some type of bank or financial institution fleece or down vest <laughs> in between it. That's the New York guy. And uh, it's a bummer. See, that's quite depressing. The whole, yeah, it, it is. I, I think you know, wearing, wearing a sports jacket and, and, and a shirt and casual tie and trousers and shoes, that's fairly complicated. Guys, are just, they just wear suits and then they don't expect. They don't want to wear any kind of coat or anything else. Like, mm-hmm. So that like the most of them might wrap like a, a scarf around their neck or something. But yeah, just like kind of wearing gilets under kind of under or over, no matter what, it, it doesn't it never fits. It's never the right size, yeah. right proportion. Like even if you wear a suit every day, just have like two or three coats and like different lengths or you know heaviness. It's just not that hard. But just the idea of like no fuss at all. Just, no, I'm not going to think about that. Not even going to bother. It's it's weird. And like I wrestle with. You know, because for me, it's very easy for me to sit here and be a little bit judgmental about that. But I wonder, is it, is it intentional mm. in the which, like, I don't care, like, F you, this is my thing. Or, no, I actually am making the right decision. I'm wearing an Hermes tie. My, my girlfriend got it for me. It's mm. fancy. And there's a unicorn on it. Or whatever it is. It's a horse. I don't know. I'm sorry. <laughs> but, but, I mean, I think that's the thing. Uh, the best example is my brother-in-law. Mm. I love the guy. He's, you know, he's a great guy, but he was asking me, um, you know, I'm sure you get hit up from family members too of like, oh, you're the style guy. <laughs> so let me know what I should wear. And he sends me some pictures on my phone and it's like this or this. And, and here's the thing. He genuinely wants to know. Yeah. And I'm not going to make fun of him. Obviously, there's nothing to make fun of either. I mean, who's going to make fun of someone who's asking for help? That's obnoxious. So he's like, should I wear this or should I wear this? Mm. So there is this audience that still wants to know very, and maybe from my shoes and your shoes, basic advice. Yeah. Um, How is that? like possible in some ways do you think it's just people don't care and i i I don't know so how is it possible they still need kind of fairly basic advice yeah and yeah i guess it's barely they might i think that whole that part of the population is probably very badly served with advice in that there's lots of blogs unlike mine and lots of others that are will give a lot of specialist advice i guess or get very quickly get into kind of specialist stuff because they like it and because their readers like it and it's much more fun than giving kind of bland and more general advice Mm mm-hmm but then there hasn't really been that much that gives advice to the kind of ordinary guy, which isn't kind of slightly condescending or isn't kind of quite fashion orientated influence as well. So, oh, this season it's all about, you know, skinny black suits or whatever right. it might be. Right? And no one cares about that. Yeah. You know, I was re- again, I won't name names, but the UK magazine recently had a style supplement and, I was, and you know, the feature was, oh, suits are back. I was like, oh, okay. Read that. And it was just like... <laughs> about what all these designer fashion brands are doing with like stupid big like pink like dusty pink oversized trousers and you're going who's that relevant to you know that really yeah. this is the yeah. st- this is the style magazine and that's the article you're writing about suits and just like who cares who's actually wearing that i just find it bizarre it's it's pretty heavy and the craziest thing about uh, with the situation with my brother-in-law is he was like i just went to nordstrom mm. and i paid i think he paid five hundred dollars 
um, in merchandise. And mm-hmm. like, if you spend that much, you get an appointment with a stylist. And they had given them, I want to say purple or mauve, mm-hmm. uh, like really stretchy poplin shirts that also for someone of my brother, of my brother-in-law's figure, stretch isn't the best thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, he's not like some heavy guy or anything, but it's just like, you got to frame someone's face. You got, and it was, I don't know. So, yes, is that, is, that, is that worse, the fact that the guys in the shop don't even know? Well, that's know? the thing. And, like, here's the thing. I don't want to make this a podcast of everyone's an idiot, and I'm not <laughs> saying that. And it's, uh, trust me, it's so much fun to do, and BuzzFeed makes billions of dollars saying that. But yeah. I think it's, like, where, where, where is a, the actual mistake happening or, or where, mm. what's going wrong? Mm. Um, is it people are scared to ask for help? Is it better to just have an opinion and say, F the world? I, I don't know. Mm. Yeah. I think I, I, I tend to be very instinctively optimistic about these kind of things. I kind of want to feel like it's going good places, just, good very, just very slowly. Yeah, I'm the pessimist, <laughs> you know? unfortunately. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's all right. We'll make a good team. I'm just like, Donald Trump's president. The whole world's gone to crap. Go home. <laughs> That's the only political thing I'll say. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I think I know. I I think there was, I think there are definitely some some good signs around that. There are some good shops, and there's more information than there used to be. If you want to find it, I kind of feel there aren't so many. There aren't so many kind of gatekeepers as like there used to be. Right. Well, you know, like where are you getting your ready to wear? I mean, I know that you have very little because you have a lot of bespoke. Makes mm-hmm. sense. But what are the stuff that you see them and you're like, okay, I'm I'm really happy with where things are going. What's fueling the optimism? With good brands. Your pause is bothering me. (laughs) (laughs) It's hard. Yeah, it's hard with brands. I mean, there's things I really love. Like, I've always been a a massive Ralph Lauren fan since I was a kid. And that was always like the aspirational thing. And I still think they do amazing things. There's so many things that would change. Yeah. Yeah. I just, yeah. There's so many things you'd you'd want to change. But the style is just amazing. Like, for so long, selling the cheapest thing to the most expensive thing in the world to the same, under the same brand, to the same, you know. Digital customers, I think, is amazing. Mm-hmm. Basically, having like that consistent look, and yet somehow every season coming up with something new that I really, really want, you know, is quite impressive. Yeah. Um, so there are lots of that do those kind of things really, really well. But I guess a lot of the brands struggle with that kind of customer connection thing, you know, which the independent stores much but do much better, or the kind of blogs give people, you know, this is my personal experience, right? This is how you can replicate that. Like, just those fashion brands aren't really set up for that. What about all. uh? What about the armory? Or not? Sorry, not the armory. Um, we can talk about the armory too. But I was actually going to say Sid Mashburn. I don't even know Sid Mashburn. Really? Yeah. Can I take thirty seconds of your time? We got yeah, time. Yeah. I'm going to tell you, Sid Mashburn. I'm surprised you don't know Sid. Yeah. Mashburn. Well, I, kn- I like I know the name and I've seen stuff, but it never ever comes across my radar. Like so that. it's free ad for Sid Mashburn. Also because he's going to be on this pod soon, <laughs> but. <laughs> Sid Mashburn is basically, they're more or less becoming the new Ralph Lauren. Okay. Um, and that's an incredibly bold thing to say. Every single new American brand wants to be the new Ralph Lauren. Yeah. But I say that in terms of it's American style. Their, their signature look, and I, I, you know, then we'll move on, is 501s, somewhat tapered, mm. Oxford shirt, mm. thin, approximately like one inch bridal leather belt usually the Filson belt with their own sort of buckle that they have in-house. Yeah. Uh, and usually like a rep tie. Okay. And now they did, they were big champions of the whole no socks thing, which, sure, I don't know. Have you really worn shoes without socks? Uh, a heavy, like, heavy shoe. We're yeah, talking yeah, yeah, heavy yeah, yeah, Oxford yeah, no, here. No, no. Get out of town. It's, yeah. it's, it's, killing your, it's killing your ankles. Yeah. I don't know who you are. <laughs> so... <laughs> But that's, that's their look. And it yeah. looks really good because it doesn't look too purposeful. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it looks the same, actually, as the guy who's walking down the street with the Goldman Sachs ve- down vest on. Yeah. Because it's like, look, I, I, I'm, I'm on my way to my thing. Like, I didn't put that much thought into this. I'm just, I'm just getting dressed and I'm leaving the door. Mm. But these guys really look that and they're great. Mm. Yeah, it's such like such subtle differences that mean you look like you've you've put this together. Yeah, you know, or you haven't looked like you you look look great, but don't look like you've made a huge amount of effort to it. Is always like the goal. 
yeah. with all these kind of things. If you can do that, then you've nailed it. Because you know? so much, I mean, I think this is something, um, previously I used to work for the Armory. Um, there, one of the big things was about reducing options. Mm. And that's, you know, one of the things that I liked the most about my mm. time there was it was all about reducing the amount of choices and options that some of these men had in terms of ready to wear. Yeah. So you don't really have 60 different pairs of jeans. You have, these are the jeans. Yeah. That's it. I mean, what are your thoughts on that? I can see how that works really well and is really, really appealing to people. Right. I think it's, and I think it's, it's probably a very, I think the army does a really good job of it and it's a very easy thing to do in a, a particular time and space, I guess. I think it, it's hard to stay with that over time. Mm-hmm. Like if you have, at most kind of, I guess particularly brands, but also stores like they open with a particular view of the world. Like this right. is my view, this is what happens. This is kind of, you know, what the cut of a jean should be. Um, and, and they probably have very good reasons for thinking that. But, you know, fashion makes small changes to stuff. And actually, maybe five years down the line, you kind of think, well, actually, they look quite baggy now compared to what I had before. Right. Or, or, or vice versa, right? So I think it's, that's hard. I mean, I guess that's, that's what designers, you know, do. And, and I would I think we'd probably both agree they do it too much because they're trying to change every six months, you know, radically. But over time, you know, good designers do move with, you know, small changes in the market and, you know, they get, change that silhouette just a little bit so it still kind of stays relevant all the time right you know and i think i think a lot of kind of brands and shops i know have started with really great intentions and a really great view but they just have to evolve over time you know and to meet the market yeah to meet the market and and, you know i think and also people like stuff which is a just a little bit fresh a little bit different you know and and these are very very small changes but i think that's a really interesting theme is is around like classic clothing or quality clothing what actually does and should change over time and evolve you know and there's nothing wrong with i don't think with kind of a slow evolution of these kind of things even if it goes around in circles or whatever it might be i think like there's nothing wrong with that at all it feels fresh and it's interesting right i mean would this be in the ways of, of textile or cut or i think like uh, can you see mostly in cut i guess okay um like this thing like proportions people talk about like proportions of a lapel on a jacket for example mm-hmm. Um, there's probably a, there's a very similar one with like um, width of a trouser leg you know right. that kind of goes in and out of fashions in different styles you know skinny lapels have been you know went to a kind of extreme and now a lot Tom of the, Brown era exactly yeah and then a lot of the guys that we know now actually they they want like super broad lapels and big right. ones but you know and maybe then Tom Ford era <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Exa- exactly and, you, and but if those brands are going to survive then they probably they will end up adapting over time, even if it's only by small amounts. Oh, for sure. You know? I mean, I, you, you can already see that. I mean, a perfect, yeah, Tom Brown mm-hmm. and Tom Ford have both gone smaller and bigger at the same time. I mean, Tom Ford going smaller and Tom Brown going bigger. Mm. Um, but then someone will come along that does something completely different and they're big enough and do it well enough that everyone goes, oh, this is the new thing. And then everyone will kind of slightly move in that direction. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Right. You know. But, a new thing that's that's becoming like this theme across every major designer brand, mm. and I'm sure you saw it walking around New York City streets recently, is this athleisure stuff. Yeah. Sweats. And I'm not trying to get you to just start shouting expletives, <laughs> but I am a little bit curious. Still try to be optimistic here. Yeah. yeah. As what your thoughts on this? Because on one hand, I do get it. Yeah. It is very easy. Mm. Like I'm wearing a hooded sweatshirt right now. It is mm. very easy to just grab a hooded sweatshirt. Yeah. But... Is it? Is it like, am I like in my head? I was like, well, wait, if I don't wear a sport coat when I go to meet Simon, like, is he going to think that I don't care about this discussion? Yes, yes I will. Yeah. yeah. Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I think, I kind of think the comfort point is a bit of a red herring. Like, I don't think the comfort is that relevant. I think that's the same with like the athleisure or the trainers or whatever. Oh, it's because it's, it's comfortable. I don't think that's what it is. I think it's just, it's just the new thing and it looks cool. Yeah. And, I agree. and, and, and guys, they want to look cool. They're probably in some deep part of themselves terrified of not being cool or not being attractive or, you know, whatever it it's might mankind be. mankind in general. Yeah. yeah. So they kind of, it's, these things go in cycles and, you know, five years ago was sort of peak handkerchief or whatever it was and, you know, everyone's wearing tie clips and, you mm-hmm. know, ridiculous things and now we're going back into the casual, you know, more and more casual and, and like, you could see that coming from so long ago, like, you read articles from like three, four years ago, people talking about, you know, oh, there's, um, sneaker freaks and stuff are kind of get obsessed with the stuff and it's going to be a huge thing and people doing limited editions of all this kind of stuff and it became much more mainstream um, the kind of whole workwear movement again you know yeah. sort of you know preempting that 
So it's kind of, you could, menswear moves really slowly. You can see it coming a long, long way away. Right. But it's going to become more casual. And I'm sure it'll swing back to being kind of more, more formal again. I think um, it's definitely on its way to be more formal. Mm, I think the only, yeah, again, like it moves so slowly that if you've now got to a point where it feels like maybe you're at peak athleisure, I don't know, but you're <laughs> yeah. certainly close. Oh, for sure. That like, yeah, then you can see the buds of something else changing again, right? And coming back. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, the only thing, the thing I find quite interesting is that I, you get these kind of, you know, this wheel is turned again and again and again for decades. They think the thing that's different now is because of the kind of spread of information and the different kind of communities, it's, I think it's easier for a community to kind of self-perpetuate itself a little bit, like digitally. You know, you could have right. a thousand people in the world who are all into super, super, super formal clothing and they create their own little forum and they kind of talk to each other and Style they post forum. pictures, whoever it might be. I'll say it. You can. <laughs> it's okay. And, and, and you know, they, that can survive much more easily in the past, you know, whereas there's a guy who was really into a particular type of clothing in his town and suddenly no one else in the town is wearing it. It took a certain amount of balls to do that. Right. But, but now if he has probably a blog dedicated to his look, whatever it is, and a forum dedicated to his look and maybe meetups or trunk shows or whatever it might be, I kind of think maybe those, these fashion swings will be slightly less important over time because it's easier to stay with that. You know, whether it's, you see it with things like the, um, the sort of vintage look kind of chap kind of thing yeah you know, which again like it's been going for a really long time and it's kind of just perpetuated itself you know without really kind of dying out and i'm sure it's because there's you know books or events or blogs or whatever that write about all the time that kind of make you feel good about yourself and make you feel like you're not an idiot <laughs> and your passion makes sense that's i mean that speaks to something that i think is happening in terms of on a global scale with everything mm. right and uh i mean you're speaking about in terms of clothing that mm. I'll wear these clothes and I'll continue wearing this look because all my other friends are, we discuss it. We only interact with other people who wear it. Yeah. We, um, whatever that is. And that's the same in terms of music, mm -hmm. in terms of politics. I mean, I think, you know, I, again, I won't get too political, but a lot of yeah. people talk about the whole echo chamber politics. Yeah. Stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This, yeah. this massive, yeah. A perfect. Yeah. Echo chamber. Exactly. And that definitely happens with clothes mm. because if you're all sitting there and you're all, you know, agonizing over a sleeve head. Who's the person that gets to come in and says, dude, we got to eat dinner. Like, <laughs> like, dude, we got some, we got other things to do. I mean, the sleeve head's fine. Yeah. It, it looks great. Move on. Yeah. And yeah, I, I never, yeah, I never really thought about that. I guess, that, well, and, and I guess that's, that's the role of the, I guess the commentator or the critic or whatever, like, you know, you through the podcast or me, my writing or whatever, is sure. kind of giving a bit of perspective to that kind of thing. Yeah, you know, you, you guess people are more successful tend to have like that slightly broader awareness, I guess, of things and going like slightly bit more kind of objective about how important that really is, you know. And um, often, I find the best kind of tailors are the kind of people who can uh, really give that kind of talk to the customer and go, "Look, you know, this is how we do it, and I think you know, this is uh, why we do it that way." But if you want it somewhere different, you know that's fine you know maybe i won't have to make it for you maybe somebody else will make it for you but no this is just explaining you know right the reason and just and you kind of once it becomes less kind of i guess less tense or less of kind of a big kind of burning issue that you kind of relax and you can have a bit more kind of context around actually do i really like that or am i just kind of wanting that because that was the thing that yeah telling me about i mean i fall down that rabbit hole with everything <laughs> <laughs> i mean with clothes i just go in i go deep and it's it's dumb. I think, I don't know who it was. It might have been Justin Doss, whom was, I was talking to him about Rick Owens or something. Mm. And he's like, look, at the end of the day, none of this stuff matters. And he's like, what do you want? Do you want a Rick Owens jacket around your back? Or do you want, you know, a wife around you, you know, <laughs> around you when the world ends? And I was like, damn, uh, well, could I get both? <laughs> but it was, it was just the fact, yeah, of like being able to step outside of that circle. I think and, it's really important to do that kind of thing. Yeah. Like I, I, I can't remember how long it goes. was maybe a year or two, ago, two years ago now, writing a post called Clothing is Not Important. And I love writing that kind of stuff. And people are going to go, what? Helmet <laughs> section. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> I just kind of say, I don't know. I, I think I try to draw a parallel between clothing and like, and food, I think. Kind of saying, just, just make an intelligent decision. Like know enough about it to make an intelligent decision. 
um, you know, know enough about food that you kind of appreciate it, that you savor it, that you go to good restaurants, maybe you can cook a bit, you can explore it yourself, you know enough to be a bit creative with it. Sure. But don't get super obsessed about, you know, where the egg was and how free range it was or whatever. Right. And it's the same with clothing. And I, I like, I quite like that parallel because I am awful with food. Like I know nothing about food. I cannot cook. <laughs> So I can I should know less about clothes and more about food. Basically. Okay, and then it'd probably be a slightly more balanced kind of intelligent lifestyle. You can always start a new section of uh, permanent style, <laughs> permanent eats. I don't know. Yeah, there you go. Free free advice. <laughs> Thank you. Not that you need it. Um, so one of the last things that I wanted to talk about is. I mean, you have a very good perspective in terms of the industry, in terms of like what actually people wear, what people care about, and. Uh, I'm really curious as what your thoughts are on the retail industry. Mm. And I am optimistic. I do think things are good, but it is interesting for me to see, you know, I mean, it's one of the reasons why I wanted to do this podcast too, is this convergence of Mm. trying to get people into stores, trying to utilize the most, you know, up-to-date, latest, greatest technology to wow them. I don't know. Like, what are some of your thoughts on this? I think, I think one thing that springs to mind immediately is I think it's really hard to know and predict because so much stuff feels kind of mixed up mm-hmm. in that same way of the kind of magazines becoming shops and shops becoming magazines and weird customers kind of fitting everything in the middle. In the kind of same way with these kind of shops, you've got direct-to-consumer brands, you've got the kind of whole wholesale model kind of breaking down, you've got um, fashion shows where everyone wants to now buy the fashion show stuff straight off the catwalk and the whole industry's going, but we normally have a year. Nope, got, you've got like 10 days before you yeah. kind of have this stuff ready. That's really interesting. And there was, um, I, was, I was speaking to a friend recently who was talking about, I think Amazon, their clothing section, they're setting up a factory that makes everything made to order, but you get it in three days. Like, wow. There's no inventory, there's no stock, but they're set up and they have the volume and the predictability and probably the algorithms to be able to say, you know, we can, we can make that for you and we keep stock of cloth or hardware, whatever it is we need, but we make it for you immediately. And they're like, oh God, that's one more bit about the kind of standard fashion business model that's just going to fall apart, you know? And I, I just, it's all converging. Like you get, you go to one website and you'll order something and they'll say, oh, thank you very much. This is going to be made to order. It'll be three weeks. Or thank you very much. You know, we've passed your order onto our brand partner. And you go, what? So you're not holding stock? You're just, <laughs> what is this place? You're just handing it on to somebody else? Yeah. And you really don't know when you go to a site, those kind of things are kind of breaking down. I think it's the same with stores as well. So that's not a particularly useful answer necessarily, but I think it's just everything is kind of becoming a bit more merged together and confusing from that point of view. Yeah. I mean, one thing that's happened because of this is like, because of the internet, this happened in the music industry, what, like 10, 15 years ago, is the, the playing field is leveled mm. because the distribution channels are very easy. Uh, so a good example is the music in the 70s was the best ever because of these reasons. One, to record, you had to be really, really, really good. Yeah. And then to get into a studio, you had to be so good of, these, of this top tier that the industry had to recognize you and put you in a studio. So of the music that was being churned out in the 70s, yeah. a lot of it, this is my opinion, yeah. was so good because the talent pool was... It was it's very rigorous. So, yeah, yeah. Right. And so then you have the the 2000s and what? Like, what's a huge band right now that's new that you care about? Yeah. So it's anyone can make it because I can, like, a perfect example this podcast. We're sitting here and I'm, it'll be on the internet and boom, bada bing, like it's done. <laughs> and so because of that, there's not really a threshold to verify or mm. ensure that what the product is good. Yeah. And because of that, there's all these new industries to connect it to clothes here is the bootleg industry. Mm. Everyone's got a freaking hoodie company and a t-shirt company and a shoe company and what it is. I have no idea, but it's good because it's also, I would say it's affected the rest of the fashion industry. I mean, oh, hugely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's Vetmonts, which is a massive deal of, oversized sweatshirts for $800. Yeah. Now I know that is not bespoke world, but it is, I, it's definitely affected that. Yeah. I, yeah. I, yeah. So many of those things, when they break down, it's hard to know. I kind of think it's kind of probably going to be harder for the consumer when they break down like that. Like in like things like you get people saying, asking questions about how, why something costs a certain price. 
you know, and when they, right. when they understand enough to know what a retail margin and a wholesale margin is, they go, well, I'm only going to pay the wholesale then. And they go, well, but yeah, but lots of stuff went into it. Like, and it's not even useful stuff like saying, well, there's, the, there's that, but then we have to pay for the staff and the rent and whatever. It's not even that kind of stuff which you can explain to people. It's things like, yeah, but we, we tried three prototypes before we got here, and this is the only one that worked. Or we kind of, we're always going to have you know, 10, 20% that doesn't sell um, and even can't go on sale because it's too late by then, and we have to just kind of write that off what happens. And that's the right. realities of running these kind of things. And that's a really hard thing to explain to consumer and explain why they should be actually paying that price. And I know, again, I, <laughs> maybe there's just blind optimism, but I, I kind of feel that all this stuff is going gonna, is gonna to work out well in that in the more kind of open and transparent it is people realize, they start to question what you're kind of paying for. You know, I, I'm quite happy to admit that I pay full price shopping at Hermes, for example, because frankly, you know, although there's lots of things going wrong, you know, I love them as a luxury brand, you know. I like the experience. I like the craft. I like the fact that the leather goods are completely random, what's made and what's in what store, and you can't find you know, anything you want. Yeah. Um, that they still have individual shop buys for every shop, which means you walk in and you know, even if there isn't a kind of personality that's bought in that shop, the manager has selected what's in there, and it's not just something that's been dictated on from on high and then spread out to like several hundred stores kind of around the world. Right. Um, but I, so my point was that I kind of, I'm in the same, I know, again, it's so many parallels in the same way that like when I buy a newspaper, I do that because I want to, I feel that in a tiny, tiny way, I'm supporting good writing and supporting like print publishing. Sure. In the same way, I'm quite happy to go in a mez and pay more than I probably should do because I like the experience and because I feel that I want to support that brand and not that brand. Right. Well, in terms of Hermes, the only, my only question is that, is they're like, to bring it back to music here, they're like Radiohead. They can do whatever they want and people will buy it because they're Hermes. You know what I mean? And I think yeah. now th- they will stay that way because of a lot of the things that they do right. Like mm. example, I went to check my mail. This, I swear to God, this happened yesterday. And there's a, this letter. I'm like, oh, wow. Like, I never get letters. Who the hell gets letters? And I open it up and it's like Mr. Jeremy Kirkland. And, and I'm like, wow, oh, it's like this handwriting is great. I'm like, oh, it's a wedding invitation. Of course, that's what it is. Mm. Nope. It is a letter from Hermes because I bought some candles there once like for my mom and I open it up and it's just like you know we haven't seen you we hope you're doing well here's uh some samples of our new fragrance you know all the best and they mention my freaking dog's name which I don't even remember that of course like I you know wear her name on my sleeve all the time but like I don't know how they remembered that and they sent me a freaking card and I think that you know Going in a sense like very, very old school, like mm. we were saying that, oh, you respect it because of this and this, you know, having good customer service, I think in terms of the retail industry has to be the, you know, what they're known for. Yeah, exactly. And, that, and that's what, you know, all the independent stores have been successful. That's, that's what they've been successful on is because if you have a guy who really likes clothes, then he wants to go into a physical store and talk to somebody he knows about clothes. And the same we would do with the tailoring, actually. Like, there's a lot of parallels there with tailoring. That was made like the, the nice thing about the experience was that a guy who went to a tailor didn't feel like he was shopping. He just went and talked to his mate who happened to you know, be the tailor and they'd sat down and they had a drink and then he suggested some stuff he could buy and it right. was made for him. Like, it was kind of very, just amazing customer service from that point of view. And I think that's why independent stores have done well because they have that customer service. And the brand, I think physical stores whether it's a big brand or not, it's going to have to really do that. You know? Yeah. And it, I think it, the reason I think it's good is because actually you can't just open a store and people are just going to come to you. You've got to justify why you have a store. You know? Exactly. I won't I want have a physical store because I want to do something different to an online store. There are obvious differences, you know, and I'm going to do that. Or I'm going to have an online store, but I'm going to do two, three, four times a year a pop-up shop or a trunk show or whatever mm-hmm. it is because I want that physical connection with the customers and that's really important to what we do. But you're just going to have all these different options you can pick from and say, this is what our brand is. You know, oh, we're an online um, mass producing, super cheap, super low margin company. And that's what you get. I'm like, oh, OK, fine. You know, we are a super curated, massive, great customer service, personal relationship kind of um, store. And this is what you come here for. And like, OK, fine. And I know I'm going to pay for that. I completely accept that. Right. And I mean, you just kind of described it, a massive sort of evolution of brands and stores and retail. and you know, we're, we're starting to wrap things up and this has also kind of happened within permanent style, mm. right? I mean, 
as much as I love hearing your opinion on stuff, I, I'll, I've, I, I don't want to forget that this is all about you. <laughs> so, so, I mean, you've, you've taken permanent style from, you know, my view on clothes to mm-hmm. um, a store. You have a great newsletter. Mm-hmm. You now, which I think is a genius idea, by the way, are basically the, the trunk show calendar of the world. Um, yeah. Serious, phenomenal cool. idea. Thank you. Uh, so what's next? And I know that that's such a trite question, no, but I feel yeah, like to no, ask. that's fine. I think the um, see number one is never going to lose sight of the fact that it's a it's I'm a publisher and I'm a writer, and that's the primary thing. Like no one would do anything else or move to be anything else. Um, but little ways to expand that, like the so doing good product and product we really believe in, but not too much of it that ever distracts from other stuff that we're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, to do more slightly more events and physical things like we ran a pop-up shop on Savile Row um which was was really really amazing um and again I guess like a lot of things I would do like that like the project has a very clear concept of what we're doing like the you and it that makes it so much easier to communicate with people like you walk into the shop and we said we're here for two weeks these are all brands you can't buy in London at the moment and frankly they've got to go back to other jobs so they can't be here for longer than two weeks (laughs) your only opportunity to get them (laughs) right oh okay I get it um, yeah, you don't have to yeah. explain a sale or anything like that, right? No. Yeah, exactly. And then, and yeah. and all the you know all the brands are at the same level of craft and quality and so on. And um, so, I think that that was quite a nice expansion, I guess, on what I do. Like, I don't really want to ever have a physical store, and I think running, staying in a store all day long and talking to people would probably kill me. But I really like that kind of experience because it was quite focused and intense, and you learn some very specific things about what you're trying to do and about the brand and give them a really kind of nice experience for there's a relatively small brands, but um, everyone made good money and it was very, very efficient for them and it was great for exposure. And uh, so that was, yeah, that was a positive experience. I'd like to do that again sometime soon. Nice. So any other books coming out? I mean, you're you're on the tour for your fifth book here. So (laughs) yeah, I know it's okay. Book publishing is a weird thing. Like the, like, was it a year before last? two books, The Finest Men's Are in the World and Best of British that came out like within a month of each other. Yeah. But one of them took two years to do, one took five years to do because the publishers Jeez. are just so different. Like some publishers want like 18 months before it comes out, they've got to have as a sales period and they've got to be out into stores around the world and selling it. Other people have like six months and other people give you two years to write, some give you six months to write. So their time timings are just all over the place. And then when we've done the permanent style publications, like the most recent one, the style guide, mm-hmm. that's kind of much more on our timetable. We can do that whenever we want. So that it might take six months or something from beginning to end. Right. Um, but we can do that whenever we want, um, which is great. But in retrospect, doing that at the same time as the pop-up shop was a mistake because they were both too much work. <laughs> um, yeah. So I don't want to do that. And again, anytime soon. Especially because you're a dad yeah. with a family and another job and things like that. And you, <laughs> Yeah, you're a busy guy. Yeah, exactly. And I, and I kind of think it's really, really easy. I'm sure this must happen in every job and to everybody, but it's really, really easy to forget the stuff that you really enjoyed doing and why you do it, you know? Um, I wrote a, on the plane on the way over here, I wrote a post about the things I'm still really passionate about in the, in the industry. And I think it was, I was watching some film about um, a craftsman and kind of why he really loved what he's doing. And I was think, saying, like, I'm no craftsman, but I'm really passionate about what I I'm doing and it's interesting the stuff that's still really passionate about like 10 years later right but it's so easy to kind of forget those kind of things when you're in the midst of working out where the shop should be or you know how many what color of polo shirt you should be selling or whatever you know yeah i mean i think that's why some companies will have you know a credo or some sort of brand mm, thing yeah. is i remember that i would see that and i'd be like that is so dumb that makes no sense why would you do that and i was also i'm still an idiot but I was like, I don't get it. And what I realized is that can, that can be the bad guy. That can mm. help remove ego from decision-making. Yeah. Because that's what you're measuring every single growth and decision on in the future is, yeah. okay, well, like what you were saying, if it's, about, if it's about writing, first and foremost, you know, yeah. every new project is, okay, well, does it meet with this? Is that going to support it? Yeah. yeah. No. Yeah. So, mm. yeah. Anyway. <laughs> I must say that I have received some of your optimism from here, and oh, I good. am nice, I- incredibly grateful, and so glad that you got to come on. <laughs> no, Matt, absolute pleasure. It's been um, great. Is there any stuff you want to add or mention? I'll definitely be sure to mention it. Thank you. Um, I don't think so, particularly. No, it's funny how you when you start when you start talking about these kind of things. Like I, 
I'm always, always more interested in talking about the industry generally or trends generally or just chatting to somebody about what they think, you know, rather than chatting about the blog or the website. Sure. And I kind of feel that's because that's what I enjoy doing with the website as well. I enjoy really like having a thought, writing something, putting it out there and then seeing what people think as well. They comment on it. And actually, maybe one thing I, I really like about the blog that's kind of doesn't always get highlighted is the fact that we have almost 2000 odd posts from the last 10 years. Um, but people still find the old posts and comment on them. And I think they comment on them because they've seen I've replied to something quite recently and then they'll comment and I'll reply. And it kind of keeps those, all, those posts oh, wow. alive, almost like kind of like a body of knowledge that kind of sits there. <laughs> yeah. And that's what I hate about most modern like social media is like most stuff from Instagram and stories and whatever is trying to do the exact opposite, like make it as transitory as physically possible. Right. And it's really hard. I find it really hard to think that's what I want to invest in. You know, I'm not going to, why would I create good content if it's just never going to last for very long? You know, yeah. it's never going to 24 hours, go, it's not relevant. Oh, okay. So I haven't actually done anything, you know, <laughs> the fact that people, some people saw it, you know. Well, I did do it, but it was three days ago. So yeah. <laughs> you missed out. Yeah, it's true. Good point. Yeah. But, I know. But it's, yeah, it's, it's more fun talking about that kind of stuff than it is just, you know, talking about permanent style, I think. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you so much for coming on. This was awesome. And uh, we'll get you on soon. Thanks very much. Good All right, to speak see to you. you. You've been listening to Blamo. A huge thanks to my guest, Simon Crompton, for coming on. If you like what you heard, leave a review on iTunes. It helps let others know and discover the pod. Subscribe and listen to new and archive episodes on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Last but not least, you can find me elsewhere on the web on Instagram and Facebook at Blamo Podcast, or send me an email at jeremy at blamopod.com. See you next week.